Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Man, it is wonderful to see all of you guys here today. Um, listen, for those of you I've never had the opportunity to meet, I am Quentin Self, and uh, this is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, together, we have the great privilege of pastoring this church. And so, with that said, uh, if you are either a longtime family member, or if this is your first time with us, or if you land somewhere in between, I want you to know that, that we are so grateful that you've chosen uh, to come hang out with us. Matthew chapter 20. Starting in verse 17, and we got to get on our pony and go this morning, so I hope you're ready. (laughs) It says this, it says that Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. It says they will sentence him to die, then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Gang, those verses are not on the Easter message in a nutshell, but they also explain why we are here celebrating this morning. As we've been singing already, we know that Jesus is alive. In fact, if you're already a believer in this place, then you know that uh, the cross and the resurrection are not only two of the greatest events in human history, but they also contain the turning points in each of our individual lives. And the reason is, is because the love of the cross and the power of the resurrection, they actually mark our shift from death to life. See, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, but God is so rich in mercy... And He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Can I get a good amen on that one? All right, with that being said, what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to step away from the quote-unquote traditional Easter message in hopes that I can just simply give you an amazing example from the Scripture of what Jesus actually accomplished for you and for me through His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, to uh, do this, I actually want us to look at a familiar story that's out of John chapter 5. It says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Aramaic, is called uh, Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. I want to pause there just for a second so I can set the scene. If you can imagine with me, when you walk through the Sheep Gate, there were two pools that were connected. And history tells us that these pools were approximately 50 feet by 50 feet, so they weren't that small. Now, history also tells us that these pools were originally filled with clean, pristine water and that the locals believed that these pools had medicinal powers. Now, because of this, the wealthy people in the city decided they wanted it for themselves, so they uh, chose to build these big walls around it and develop it, for lack of better words, into the country club of Jerusalem. Which meant this, that this location became the place where the elite, and by elite I mean the wealthy, the educated, the famous, the upper class of Jerusalem would hang out. They would swim here, they would bathe here, they would eat here, and so on. In fact, so many people started gathering, they decided to develop it. And that's when these magnificent five colonnades, or five covered porches, were built surrounding these two pools. But 
Here's what happened. By the time we come to John chapter 5, something dramatic had happened to this place. History tells us that the springs of water that, that fed those pools dried up. And because they dried up, no water flowed in and no water flowed out. So as you can expect, the water began to stagnate. It began to turn green. It began to stink. And it began to become disgusting. And so the elite of Jerusalem decided to abandon this place. Now, once they left, the sick people came in. They began to come in droves. They began to inhabit this place. And it was because of these sick people, uh, they actually decided to rename this area Bethesda, which simply means this, and this is important. It means the house of grace and the house of mercy. Now, on that note, let's pick the story back up in verse 3. It says this. It says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The word lie there, if you can get the picture of this, actually means stacked. So literally there were so many people sitting on these five porches that they were literally stacked upon one another, laying on top of one another. So much so that it had been difficult to even walk through the place. Then it goes on to tell us what kind of sick people were there. They said that they were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now why were they gathered? Because it says in verse 4, it says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, and he would stir the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water was made well, of whatever disease he had. The word well there simply means this, that whoever touched the water, they got their life back. So if you can imagine, once again, people stacked all over each other. If there was an opportunity to get your life back, like how much were they fixed, right, on just simply watching the water, just waiting for it to move so they could step in? Can you imagine the anticipation and maybe we could even say the anxiety of the moment? Then it says in verse 5, and, and the next two verses are really our key verses for today. It says this. It says, one who was there had been an invalid or he had been crippled for 38 years. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there, helpless, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. I want to pause right there for a second. Because I want us to notice the words when it says, when Jesus saw him. Come on, grab a hold of this. That literally out of everyone that's there, literally stacks of people, right? Jesus saw him. Now, to me, the reason this is so important is because more than likely, this man had been there for so long that all of his old friends, maybe even all of his old friend, uh, family members, all the people that used to know him before he got whatever, before he got crippled, man, more than likely, they probably had forgotten about him. But Jesus didn't. In fact, he cared so much about this man that he chose to go there on that day just for that one man. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this man's name. It doesn't tell us his background. It doesn't even say how he got crippled. And it doesn't even say how he actually got there. But I can imagine how this man must have felt when he heard that there was this place, this pool called Bethesda where miracles were happening. And I can imagine the excitement this man must have felt in his heart the day that he arrived, wondering and dreaming about this moment, his moment, like that he would be made well. Are y'all seeing this? But if we fast forward, by the time Jesus walks onto the scene, the Bible says he had been there, once again, a long time. So in comparison to the first day he arrived, can you imagine the despair that he must have felt in this moment? That year after year, watching as other people got their lives back, but not him. Right? That he had yet to be the first to get in the water. Like, like he would start crawling there and someone would step over him. Somebody would step on his face, right? And they would get there before him. They would beat him there. So literally over time he had gone, I think, from being a person who had hope to becoming nothing but a hopeless spectator. Have you ever felt that way? 
Then it says again in verse 6. Let's read it together, the rest. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there helpless and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get whole? Do you want to be healed? Do you want your life back, man? Now listen, I don't know about you, but on the surface level, the question that Jesus asked this man, quite frankly, seems pretty silly. Do you want to get well? Like, who in their right mind wouldn't want to get well after suffering for 38 long years? But when we take a step back and think about it for a moment, please don't miss this. It really isn't a simple, a silly question at all because it serves as a reminder that Jesus will never fix, He will never change anything in our lives against our will. That He will never push or barge His way into our lives, nor will He ever lead us to a place where we don't want to go. Now listen, coming back to the story, I, you know, clearly I don't know everything that was running through Jesus' mind as he looked at this man in the eye, seeing him in his pitiful condition. But I can guarantee you one thing, gang, and that is this, that Jesus knew that this man who was laying beside the pool of Bethesda wasn't where he belonged. Meaning, I believe Jesus knew this man was made for more than what his current situation could offer him. That he had a greater purpose than just laying beside green, stinky pool water, wasting his life away, longing and waiting for the day he would die. Listen, I I just think that, man, this guy, that God had more for him than just some guy trying to figure out, man, how he can get from here to there. Now, I may be wrong, but I believe it was this knowing that there was more for this man, that Jesus, in essence, was on a rescue mission that day. And it would appear like one of his first steps of his rescue mission was to find out what was in this man's heart. So he asked the man, once again, do you want to get well? Now, in my opinion, that seems like a yes or no question. Like, literally, yes, Jesus, I would like that. Thank you. Or, no thanks, I think I would prefer to stay in this miserable place until I die. Like, really simple, right? But, but the man didn't respond in either of, the, either of those ways. And, and that, to me at least, is what makes this whole exchange between this crippled man and Jesus so unique. That Jesus was trying to find out what was in this man's heart. But rather than the guy responding with an answer of desire of what he really wanted, the man responded with an answer of ability of what he could and could not do. Let's look at it together in verse 7. The man said this. He said, I can't, sir. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You ever felt like you're not fast enough? Not good enough? Not clean enough? Listen, I'm not sure how, but it appears like when Jesus said, Do you want to be made well? What this man heard was, is why haven't you gotten yourself in the pool yet? Like, why haven't you figured it out? Why can't you get it right? Why haven't you closed the gap? And see, I think, you know, I don't know if it was him being defensive. I don't know. But it seems like his, out of his response, it was real easy to see what this man had been focused on. Not for a day, not for two days, not for three days, but for years. It seemed like he'd been focused really on three things. For starters, it seems like this. It appears like this man's focus was on himself. Or to be more specific, his inabilities, his failures, his issues, and his endless struggle of why he couldn't get to where he thought he should be. Why he couldn't close the gap between himself and what he perceived to be the solution to his problem. But it didn't stop there because we also see that he was busy focusing on others. Y'all hear me, please. And how they were hindering him from getting to the water. 
To this he said, while I am trying to get in, someone else, someone else goes down ahead of me. Which ultimately meant that he was blaming others for why he couldn't get to where he thought he should be. Isn't it amazing how your past can mess with you? And lastly, it looks like he was clearly, like everyone else that was there, was focused on a change in his circumstance. That if he could get a change in his circumstance, that would be the answer to all answers to his long-standing issue. Once again, if, if he could just find a way to close the gap and touch the water when it was being stirred, then it, this unusual circumstance, would somehow erase all of his woes and all his difficulties in life. I want to notice something, guys. I think it's pretty funny to think how this man laid in the house of grace, in the house of mercy for years, but he failed to focus on the only one who could give him the grace and the mercy that he desperately needed. In other words, the answer, Jesus, was standing right in front of him, and all he could do was offer up excuses. How many times have we done that when Jesus has started knocking on our heart? Here's why I can't. Here's the church hurt. Here's the divorce. Here's what they said. Here's my offense. Here's my bitterness. Here's where I can't go there, Jesus. Listen, this is why I believe Jesus had to change what this crippled man was focused on. In fact, I I love this scene from The Chosen, if you've ever seen it, where Jesus told the man, he said, look at me. I'm not asking you who's helping you or who's not helping you or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. What's in your heart? Do you want to keep looking at your shortcomings, the imperfections of other people, the stagnant water, or do you want to experience what I, the living water, can give you? And I love it when he said, you don't need this pool. You only need me. So the question that Jesus was really asking was, sir, will you please give me permission to touch and to rescue your life? And that's when the moment everything changed. Please look at the next verse, verse 8. It's the crescendo moment of the story. Said, then Jesus said to him, get up. Somebody say, get up. Get up. It said, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, at once the man was healed, at once the man, he got his life back. It says he picked up his mat and he walked. Why did he pick up his mat and walk? Because why? Because he was never coming back to that place again. Gang, please hear me when I say, Jesus never calls us back to the place he delivered us from. Listen, through Jesus, this man received the miracle he had been longing for. Like so many other people, he tried to find it, the answer in himself. Man, how often do we do that as independent people? Try to find the answer in other people and through a change in the circumstance. If I can just get that credit card paid off, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just get that job, if if I can just get this person out of my life, if I can just, if I can just, ah, right? But the answer was Jesus. Man, if I could drive home one point today, in fact, it's the whole reason why I wanted to uh, share what I'm sharing. It's the whole reason I felt compelled to share all this is this. Is please notice that Jesus didn't help this man close the distance. He didn't come that day and say, okay, let me, let me drag you to the water. Let me pick you up and take you to this thing that you think's the answer. In other words, he didn't come to, once again, to help this man close the distance, close the gap. He came to remove it. Listen, and, and the reason is, is because Jesus never came to help us make up the difference. He came because he is the difference. So if we realize or not, guys, that's what the Easter story is all about. That Jesus came to do what you and I can never do for ourselves. 
After all, is that not what's at the core of grace and mercy? Today, you really stand in the house or sit in the house of grace and the house of mercy. And I want you to know that's what grace and mercy is about. It's about someone giving us what we can't accomplish by our own endeavors or our own efforts. Man, did the Apostle Paul not say, for by grace we have been saved. Thank God for that. Listen, guys, and that is why the gospel story is the greatest rescue mission that's ever been completed. Listen, I fully realize today that none of us in this room are trying to, quote, unquote, get to a pool of water. But so often we think like this man. I just wish we get honest with ourselves for a moment. That, that we think if we can get this or if we can get that right, then we will be satisfied then we will be at peace. Right? So we turn our focus on things like success, hard work, right? We're Mainers, hard work money, material things, so I get my social status right, and there's, and there's those other people that say this, because those things aren't really working, they dive into alcohol, they dive into drugs, they dive into thinking, man, sex is the answer, and, and then I've also seen loads of people over the years, man, they put an unhealthy focus on religion. Listen, but satisfaction or fulfillment in this life will never be found in any of those things, because it can only be found in Jesus. I know I'm on repeat, and it's intentional. And that's the difference, guys, that he and he alone can satisfy the deep desires of our hearts. So with these, this simple scripture in mind, let me just ask you, what are you focusing on today? Are you focusing on yourself? Are you focusing on others? Because see, as long as you think others are the answer, others will remain the problem in your life. Are you focusing on a change in your circumstance, hoping and wishing something just shifts? Or are you going to look at somewhere different are you going to change your focus and put it where it needs to be on Jesus listen because it's true where we look is where we'll go if we keep looking at ourselves we'll continue to work harder we'll continue to strive we'll continue to do all these things because we think we're the answer if we think people we keep looking there then we're going to keep chasing after the approval of man and the fear of man's going to rule us right but if we look at Jesus man there's peace there's hope, there's joy, there's redemption, there's life. Amen? All right, so listen, in closing, in my opinion, this story of this man at the Pool of Bethesda paints a beautiful and simple picture of the gospel. You see, if we realize or not, we were all born not only with a sin nature, but we were all born separated from God, every single one of us. Nobody got one up on somebody else. Listen, in that separation or that distance between us and God might as well, humanly speaking, be as impossible and insurmountable as the gap between that crippled man and that pool of water on that day. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. But the good news is, is also like this man, in spite of our issues, in spite of our failings, in spite of our shortcomings and our sin. In fact, if you're here today and you're like, what is sin? Simply is simply this. It's knowing what to do and not doing it. So listen, in spite of all of our mess, guess what? Like that guy, Jesus has never forgotten about us. Thankfully, in the midst of this chaotic and messed up world that you and I live in, he still sees us, he still loves us, he still cares for us, and more importantly, he still came to us. He came, the Bible says, to seek and save that which is lost. You can only lose something that's of value, and I want you to know you're very valuable to him today. He came to remove the distance. That's why the Bible says this. It says that when he came, he voluntarily chose to take our place on the cross. And in doing so, he actually sacrificed himself, himself for us. He took our place. Now, why would he do that? Is it because he loves us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
But he also did it because he knew that his death was the only way to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. In other words, judgment was going to come. And he said, I'll take it, Father. Man, that blows me away. The only thing I know how to say is thank you. Right? Listen, by this he accomplished a way for you and I not only to be completely forgiven of our sins, but he also made a way for you and I to get right with the Father. Gang, the reality is as hard as you and I may try, we can never accomplish that in a thousand years. Let me give you two verses. It says this in Acts 4.12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Notice it's not your name. It's not your spouse's name. It's not your kid's name. It's not a president's name. It's the name of Jesus. Revelation 5.9 says this. For Jesus, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Somebody say the blood. Listen, with that verse in mind, let's never forget that the blood that Jesus spilled on that cross was innocent and it was perfect. Therefore, you and I, here's what's so awesome. When we make the choice to accept and believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, a really incredible thing happens. That blood is actually applied to our lives. Thank God for that, right? And instantly when that blood, the moment we believe, the moment we repent of our sins, the moment we say, Jesus, I am yours, in that moment, the blood, it washes us clean. In that moment, the blood of Jesus makes us whole. Listen, I, I, I do care, but listen, uh, the stuff that's in your past doesn't have to rule you any longer. Like Jesus died so you could be made whole of all that. Amen? Listen, the moment we believe, He instantly, by that blood, He shifts us from death to life. Amen? And listen, I, I don't know about you, but there's nothing greater. I'll give it to you like this. This morning when we're singing, man, I couldn't help but to remember who I used to be. Man, I'll never forget the day that I met Him. everything everything and, and listen if you're in here today and you're teeter-tottering if you think this Jesus thing is real it's real I promise you that and if you're teeter-tottering on going man what would happen if I give him all of my life man I had that fear too man I thought what in the world is he going to do with me if I said yes and I'm not saying that he's never took me to a place where I've never been a little afraid where I've had to depend on him. But I can tell you this. Man, I'm 25 years into serving Jesus. And there's not been a day that I regret saying yes. Amen. He can make you whole. Amen. I simply want to pray for you. Listen, if we could just close our eyes and bow our head. I don't want to prolong this. I just want to make a statement and give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today listen the bottom line is this is if you're in this place today and you are not wholeheartedly committed and passionately in love with him then you're not where you belong Jesus came so that you could yes be forgiven of your sins yes so that you could go to heaven one day but also so you could have an incredible relationship with him it's within that relationship, like I said earlier, yes, there's peace. Yes, there's joy. 
Yes, there's love. There's a fulfillment and satisfaction in life. There's a reason to get up every morning. So I want to simply just ask you today, if you're in here and you know that you've never put your trust and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never put your trust in the death, burial, and the resurrection, if you've never allowed that blood to be applied to your life to make you clean, man, I want to ask you today, no one looking around, if, if you want to get right with Jesus today, can you please just lift your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Come on, anybody else? We've been praying for you. Said, man, I've been, I've been at a far distance and I got to get right today. Anybody else says, I want to get right with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You put your hands down. Yeah, let me ask one more question. If there is an issue in your life that you're like, man, I need Jesus to intervene that's you today, would you just lift your hand? Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Church, can you please pray with me? We're going to pray a prayer that simply confesses Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that the words do matter, but what matters more is your heart. Jesus is asking today, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? And this is the only way. So church, would you pray this with us today? Say, Father God, I come to you today. I admit that I'm not where I belong. I admit that I've looked to myself. I've looked to others. And I've looked to circumstances to be my answer. But today, I recognize that you are the only answer that I need. So Jesus, today I put my faith in. I put my trust in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I thank you that you are alive. And because you're alive, my sins can be forgiven. I can be made new. I can be made whole. So I give you my life. Wash me clean today. Wash me clean by your blood. Make me a new creation. Fill me with your power. Amen. Can everybody in the room just lift your hands? Jesus, I thank you for every person that's in this room. God, if, if it, this is their birthday in you, God, if they've been with you a really long time, Father, I bless your people today to be everything that you've called them to be. I ask, God, that every person that needs you to step in by your power and by your blood that you would do in this moment. God, that the Holy Spirit would begin to move and begin to shift and change things in their life. God, we today just release peace. We release life. We release freedom. We release hope. God, we release the kingdom today because that's what you brought. Father, you said in your word that if you did not spare your own son, how much more would you also freely give us all things? So, Father, thank you for putting things in order that need to be put in order today, God, we as your people, we celebrate your life. We celebrate your resurrection. And Jesus, with one voice and one heart, we say that we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we put our hands together? Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.